0: discover more compassionate relations with human beings, but how can we develop compassionate relations with the other creatures with whom we share this planet? There's an us before the wound, there's an us before oppression, and to be pleasure is a way that we tap down into that. We
1: live in capitalism. Power seems inescapable. So did the divine right of kings. Hey everyone, welcome to the Vegan Vanguard. It is Mexi, and today we are talking to Pratik Kumar, who is a anti-castist and anti-speciesist activist from the Dalit community in India. We had a fantastic conversation, um, a pretty heavy conversation, uh, about uh, you know life as a Dalit in India, especially under Modi's Hindu nationalist regime. Just a content warning, we do talk about physical and sexual assault, including rape of Dalit women. Um, So I wanted to uh, give you a heads up on that before getting into the interview. And the last thing before diving into the interview is to thank the new patrons, the new sustaining members of the show. Thank you so much to Rachel Zumo, Katie May, and Ayula White. As you know, this is a donor-funded show, and we rely on the generous donations of all of you to keep the show going. So if you have just $2 per month, you can become a sustaining member at patreon.com slash veganvanguard. And that $2 will get you access to the Total Liberation Discord server, where myself, Catherine, and Mad Blender host bi-monthly political chats, uh, which we really love. We also have stickers and pins available from the amazing Manica Repka of Nooch Design Co on Instagram. Um, One of them says, animals are our comrades and the other says, animals want capitalism to end and they are just adorable. So um, check those out if you would like to support us by becoming a sustaining member. You can also give us a one-time tip or donation via PayPal on our website, which is veganvanguardpodcast.com or what really helps us, I cannot stress this enough, <laughs> it really helps us when you give us ratings or reviews on iTunes or whatever app that you listen to us on. Um, I always love reading the reviews. Thank you so much to everyone who has left one. Um, and you don't even have to leave a review, I don't think you can just you can just click uh, a rating. And that also really helps us a lot. So um, enough of all of that, uh, we will get right into the interview with Pratik.
0: I'm Pratik Kumar Gautam and uh, I was born in a small town uh, known as Basti in the state of Uttar Pradesh. and uh, I've lived in almost all the metro cities in the country and I'm currently living in Navi Mumbai and I've worked for Dalit Camera as a correspondent and as a video editor so Dalit Camera is a media outlet. We can't really call them as a news channel I mean news a digital news outlet because they're main agenda, their main focus is on our community, that is Dalit community and Dalit, Bahujan and Adivasi community. So whatever the things happen in our community, this platform strives to bring their voices to, you know, in the front forefront, in the mainstream media. I've been vegan for seven years and uh, I've been an anti-caste activist for around that much. That's how I discovered a lot of things uh, about veganism, about speciesism and uh, about how to interrelate between the two. And I've currently, and I've written a few articles on them as well. One of the, one of the articles was published in the Uliya I guess. I'm sorry if the pronunciation is wrong. I've uh, currently on two documentaries and I've made about six short films. So that is, that's all about me.
1: Wonderful. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Um, Your work is really wonderful. We'll definitely link to your articles and link to your work in the description box below. So for those who are unfamiliar in our audience, could you explain how the caste system functions in India? Uh, Where did it come from and, and how does it operate?
0: So the thing is, it's a really vast topic to begin with because it has a lot of things to cover from start to how we have reached here and how it's working right now, because a lot of changes have happened over the past, what, 2000 or 3000 years. But I'll basically start, I'll basically say that it's sort of parallel to how racism functions in Western countries, but not really in that way. I mean, it goes much deeper because you see here, uh, almost everyone here is of same race, if we exclude the people from Northeastern part of the country. On the surface level, it just looks like, oh, this is the worst of the capitalism that we're seeing, or the worst of the uh, modern day slavery that we call it, uh, we see. But then when we start to dig in, it's like, it goes much deeper and deeper and deeper. So basically what, what's happening here is the whole society, the whole Indian society is divided into, uh, in traditional ways, it was divided into four parts. But now I'll start with the current, how it's functioning right now. Uh, it basically divides divides into almost three categories one is the upper caste people these are like the elites people elites of the society they are not really you can't really call them rich but when you see the rich of this country all the riches of the country they all belong to the same caste like upper caste and savannahs we call them savannas so savannas are basically you know basically it's a, you can just call them the upper caste hindi of upper caste and then we come on to the lower caste people. So these are the people, we can compare them to working class people, but they're not really, I mean, they are, They have all the traits of working class people, but not exactly the working class, but they go beyond that. And they basically benefit the, they basically works as a servants of the upper castes, or whatever the work they do, it sort of directly benefits the upper caste people. And then we come to the lower part of the pyramid we call them untouchables or the Dalits and the Dalits and Adivasis. So basically these are the people who are forced into all kind of manual jobs with no job security and with no assurance and a lot of life risk and all the things that we see in the country, like cleaning the drainage or doing any any kind of work that is like really considered filthy and full, all the jobs are forced to them. and you there is a like clear divided divide divided line because first of all the people from the lower caste and the uh, dalits and adivasis they don't uh, have any means to climb up the ladder like there's no way to like jump up the ladder and become the uh, become part of the upper caste people because they always they always th- say that you're born with it like whatever the work you are doing uh, you are doing you are meant to do that uh, like it's a god gifted thing and things like that And so it's very difficult to, you know, break this line, caste divide line. And uh, a lot of violence happens when people try, people from lower caste and people from Dalit community and Adivasi community try to move up, like try to not even move up, like they're, they're trying to make their lives better or they're trying to uh, make their community better. A lot of violence happens. Like, for example, if you see all these uh, white collar jobs in banks, And in services and other public sector uh, jobs, when these people they start coming from they work hard and through all those reservations, they try to come up to those positions they face a lot of casteism. So like they'll face a lot of jealousy and envy from the upper caste people. They try to do their best to you know point any any sort of things that can hurt them or hurt their jobs, or try to like sort of crimes they do. Uh, against Mm -hmm. them so this is currently how it's working and uh, what was the other question where did it come from Mm
1: -hmm, yeah where did it come from
0: so it's like uh, if we look at the history it goes way beyond like two thousand to three thousand years around when indus valley civilization was happening Uh, when indus valley civilization was fading that's to my knowledge there are a lot of debates on this where did it come from and how did it originate but to my knowledge, when the Valley's uh, civilization started to decline and people started to migrate from those areas to other parts of the country, they brought sort of they sort of brought uh, this system with them. And uh, all the people here, uh, the indigenous people here in the mainland of India, they were sort of forced to you know move away or uh, chased away, and a lot of people were they, you know forced into slavery and all sort of things. And that time uh this whole system was created and they were that time there were four categories i can i can say five categories but officially people say four categories so four categories were: they were brahmins kshatriyas vaishyas and shudras and then the fifth category that comes is Shudras. so brahmins were the one who controlled everything like from education to what what the king should say or uh, sort of priestly, uh, you know how the priest works in the middle ages, like they control everything, the wealth, from wealth to how what the decision the king should make and everything. And mm-hmm. the Kshatriyas were the warrior caste, warrior caste who just all the generals and everything, and they were there. And the vashyas were uh, the people who control the uh, education and uh, uh, what you say, the records and everything to maintain and everything like that. And Shudras were all the working class people who were like uh dryers or uh, like the people who clean clean batteries and everything so th- those were the people like those were those were the categories and atishudras were the people who were like beyond this system caste system who are not allowed to have any who are not allowed to belong to this caste any caste and they were the one who were forced to do all the all the jobs manual jobs like cleaning the drainage and cleaning the streets and all sort of things and they were also not allowed to be inside the Uh, society, like, be inside a society. They were not allowed to have any farm, they were not allowed to have any land, they were not allowed to have any crops. And they were, uh, they were not even allowed to wear clothes and wear sandals or any sort of things like that. They were not allowed to even be inside a society beyond a certain time, like, after the sunset and before the sunrise. After the sunset and before the sunrise only, they were allowed to be in a society. And that too only for works like cleaning. And uh, you know the cleaning and maintaining all the all sort of things. Like if there is a dead animal, they have to come and clear it up, and like that. If there's some mud, uh, some somebody died, and you know they have to carry it to the graveyard or some uh, graveyard or for cremation. So they'll wow. come, and they'll pick them up, and then they'll go. And they were they were forced to live outside the societies where where you know all the drainage water would go and. Uh, see which pipelines or some or uh, all, all sort of things will go and they were forced to live there. So that was how it was there. But a lot of people, they justify try to justify these things. They, they saying that, oh, these people were forced to do all those jobs because they, they were not skilled or they were not talented or they were not you know qualified for any other jobs. So they were forced to take up jobs. I, I mean, this was the, this was one of the arguments Another other arguments was that they said all the works. Should be divided according to the caste. I mean, uh, all the yeah, all the works are, uh, should be divided according to the caste, so that the society functions very perfectly. It's like society functions very smoothly, and there's not a, there's no any mess around it, and there's no any confusion, and so that people would be like happy and everything would be fine. But that was not the case because even if you divide a society based on the work, you have to like pay people about like pay people what they are doing, right? like if the if somebody is working even as a janitor you should pay them a certain amount of uh, certain amount for their living and you should provide them su- certain services and you should give them house and you should at, at least allow them to live uh, in a society and you should give them access to foods and crops and everything else but that was not the case they were just it was plain slavery it's just uh, euphemism saying that mm-hmm. oh, this caste system was to make... Uh, to make uh, society function smoothly. But it was, it, I I say it's just a, euf- a euphemism and they were just trying, it's just slavery. Worst form of slavery, mm-hmm. I'd say.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely terrible. So you mentioned the Brahmin caste. Uh, so today, are there still members of the Brahmin caste and are they the Savarnas or just for clarity?
0: They are still there. I mean, the caste system, uh, the caste system almost, uh, the names and everything is almost there, but it, it's slightly different. It functions slightly differently because now we have a lot of things coming and we have industrialization has happened and uh, capitalism uh, has come in and a lot of things have happened. But basically the power remains with the Brahmin people and Savannah people and uh, all the people at down below. You you just see, the, you, you see it as a pyramid, you imagine it as a pyramid. The top of the pyramid, there are Brahmins. and mm-hmm. Actually, Brahmins and Savannas, I uh, categorized them into two parts. But basically, Brahmins and Savannas are same. Like under Savannas, Brahmins also come, Kshatriyas also come, and Vaishyas also come. But I divided it into two parts because Brahmins are the prime beneficiaries. And we Mm. should actually hold them accountable for everything that they are, uh, you know, doing against all of this. So I divided them into two parts, Brahmins and Savannas. But Mm. in reality, if you see official uh, statements and everything, Brahmins come under Savannas only. Okay. But I, yeah, I divide them into two because I hold them accountable for all the things that they're doing. Hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I just asked because I I knew a Brahmin anti caste activist here in. Uh, well, I, I met them here in Canada, um, but I was just wondering because you had mentioned that Brahmins were kind of more of the ancient caste. So, um, thank you for clarifying that. Um, it's also my understanding that India has you know, in their constitution made the caste system illegal, but that, of course, that hasn't translated into real life. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, it's definitely correct. Um, I'll say uh, that just because it's in constitution, it doesn't mean that it has disappeared. A lot of people, they try to argue that, oh, because the constitution had made it illegal, the caste system had disappeared, but it's it's just not there. I'll tell you one point, uh, with one point, when our constitution was found in 26 November, 1950, and uh, 1949, sorry, and uh, was implemented on 26 January, 1950. After that, more than, it took India more than 40 years, 39 years to come up with, come up with a special law called uh, SCST atrocities act. So that was the act created to prevent atrocities against Dalits and Adivasis in the country. So that is a clear indication that caste system has existed even after the constitution had made it illegal. And they had to come up with a special law to prevent atrocities against us, to the, uh, against and, Adivasis. and, and even to make that law, it took a lot of lot of uh, struggle and a lot of fight and a lot of killings and a lot of things. You see a lot of people, before this law, the only way to fight caste system in India was to join a Naxal group. Naxal group is basically, I'll explain it later. So either to join a Naxal group or a Maoist group or become a bandit in Chambal. Chambal is like a wild, wild west of India. So you you either become a bandit and go rob all the Savanas and all those Brahmins. That was the only way to fight casteism. This SCST atrocities act made uh, made it easier for us to fight casteism in modern day.
1: Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. A lot of people similarly point to, you know, laws in the United States or Canada and say that, oh, there can't be racism or there can't be sexism because, you know, legally. <laughs> uh, so of course that, you know, that never actually works out. Um, so could you explain the particularities of the Dalit caste and what it's like to live as a Dalit in India?
0: So Dalit caste, Dalit is actually not a caste, but it's oh. actually, yeah, it's uh, it's a group of uh oppressed people we can say like a lot of castes come under Dalit caste. okay uh, all yeah so i mean if we look at the government's document there are more than three thousand castes under Dalit communities itself so all the all the untouchables in the ancient times uh, what we call them untouchables and uh, what we call them atishudras in the previous like before british came in here in india even during the british time Untouchable caste was there. It's still there, but all the all the untouchable caste and all the people at the lowermost uh, part of this caste system, the strata of this caste system are all Dalits. We call them Dalits. So Dalit word is basically means scattered or depressed or broken. And were, it was first uh, coined by Baba Sahib Ambedkar. So all the people from untouchable caste, all the people from lowermost caste, and uh, all, this, all the people from cast that are like not allowed to be in the society they all come under dalit cast, and uh, yeah so that is that is what the dalit uh, word means and all the people all the people doing uh, i mean all the lowermost people are called dalit, dalit, dalit people and to live as a dalit in india i don't know how to explain it it's like it's like it's like you're having a nightmare but you're living the nightmare at the same time oh man yeah. And uh, it's really difficult. It's I mean, over the last ten years, it has become more, more. It, it has become more scary. It's become more, uh, what you say, deadly. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, yeah, it's very scary to be here. And a lot of people, lot of people from the community, they hide their caste often in order to escape from the violence. Because you see here, we can't just really pick someone up from the color of their skin that oh they belong to this caste or they belong to that caste. We almost have all similar color skins, and uh, it's easier to hide your caste. And a lot of people do that in order to escape the violence, in order to escape the casual casteism, in order to escape a lot of brutality against them. Because mm. even if you're doing, even even if you're not harming anyone, even if you're not uh, profit uh, getting profited profit from anybody, or you're just living on your own and doing on doing your work and trying to make a living and trying to uh, make yourself or your caste better. People from higher caste, people from upper caste, they'll they'll feel jealous. They'll feel they'll envy you, and they'll start uh, doing some things like they start uh, doing violence against you. They'll start. They'll come and beat you, and a lot of things that happens. Or they'll try to try to put corruption charges on you, or things like that, so that you don't do well in your life, or you don't uh, do better in your life. Mm-hmm. or your caste feels ashamed about it. A lot of things that happens. Like, you ju- if you just start seeing the caste-based violence, you'll just be surprised at why all the things are happening like this. Like, you'll be, there's just no explanation to it. Like, somebody from upper caste will come and beat you up simply because you were doing better in your school, better than them in your school. Like that it has happened. A lot of things have happened. In Gujarat, a lot of, uh, Gujarat is a state of uh, India and uh, if you just see the caste-based violence over there it just it just doesn't make sense somebody is doing well in their jobs and next day you find them dead because they were doing good in their job they they were bringing what pride to their caste or they were trying to move up in the society and the next day you find them dead with no reason because upper caste people don't want them to be above them Uh, it's like they want to they want to scare us they want to they want Threaten us and they want to show us our place that this is your place, you can't move above it. And a lot of violence just happens because of that. Just because of that.
1: Yeah, people just want to hold on to their position of privilege in a society. Um, and they'll obviously do that through the, through violence. Um, so have you ever, like, do you, I don't know if you're able to talk about this, if not, I can just edit it out, but, um, so do you, um, like hide your cast and how is that really possible? Because, I mean, I know you said that, you know, everyone kind of looks the same, so it's hard to tell. Um, but as you were saying before about cast being really tied in with what job you're supposed to do in society, um, like, are you able to kind of hide your cast to break away from that and get a job kind of outside of your cast
0: here we uh, find out about uh, find out find out about somebody's cast through their surnames and a lot oh, of people okay. a lot of people yeah so a lot of people are from our community they just take a surname from some upper caste and they just use it as their surname and mm-hmm. they just fill it there on their uh, id cards and everywhere but yeah when you're you're applying for some official jobs, or even in private jobs, if you're applying, so you have to mention your cast, But that thing stays with the official and it's under the document, and it doesn't really come out unless you really have some some really bad person sitting in the official who just wants to, you know, take a revenge sort of revenge sort of thing. That how did he come up till here? And uh, so in that way, we sort of hide our cast. And yes, I have hid my caste. For a very long time, because I was really scared of what's happening around me, mm-hmm. and uh, even because uh, there's a reservation system here. If you, uh, if I don't know if people know about it, uh, it sort of works almost in the similar way how reservation works in the U.S., slightly differently. So we have there there are reserved seats for students in the college, and there are reserved seats uh, for uh, people in the jobs in government jobs, and so. When you, when you apply for any jobs, when you write any competitive exams, you have some sort of uh, seats results only for your category. So you, when you go there and apply, so you have uh, what you say, you are assured that uh, uh, you will be given seat if you are qualified for the job. So that way, there is there is this reservation system. So in that way, a uh, lot of people find out about your cost, but then it just remains there unless you just there's some official over there and who tries to uh, you know really feels that it, he you doesn't deserve to be here like um,
1: that. mm-hmm. god that's terrible Um, I also was just watching a really upsetting video about how um, Dalit women are often subject to um, the most unspeakable physical and sexual violence, including, like, gang rapes and murders at the hands of mostly upper caste men, um, and that this doesn't really happen to um, upper caste women in the same way. And so I just thought that was, um, you know, obviously... Really devastating, but also kind of um, you know exemplary of the fact that the caste system is really alive and well, and and how much it is related to other hierarchies of power like patriarchy and, and things like that.
0: Yeah. So violence against women, women is used is is often used as a tool in every society, if I'm right about it. <laughs> and here also in India, violence against Dalit women and Adivasi women has been used as a uh, tool to suppress the voices of the Dalit community, to bring, you know, to bring shame to the community so that they don't come up, they don't uh, do well in their uh, lives and they don't come up, they don't uh, live the life in dignity. Mm -hmm. So that rape against Dalit women and uh, violence against Dalit women is basically, is mainly because of the caste, not because of anything else is the main driving factor of all the violence that's happening against women, and that is to suppress the voices of our community. And mm-hmm. I'll I'll give you one example. I'll I won't uh, name the people, and I won't name uh, I won't name where, when did it happen. But I mean, I won't name the people, uh, the victim's name, and everything. But it happened in Punjab a long time, around six or seven years ago when the uh, people from uh, a family from a dalit community was doing really well and they were farmers basically but then uh, they just i mean they were doing better a lot of better and they were sort of doing almost same as any other upper caste from that area and then what happened was one day <laughs> people got agita- uh, people got really uh, envy they people started envying them upper caste people started envying those families and then one day what they did was they kidnapped the daughter of that family and they gang raped them and then later they also uh when and when all this this happened the father of the father of the girl he tried to fight a case against them put uh, rape charges and everything and he was also beaten up and he was also brutally thrashed, but he survived and so that is one of the examples that is happening but even in the recent time it has happened like around a week ago almost every week you hear about it almost every week oh
1: that's disgusting um so i've heard some talk about dalits potentially converting to islam or buddhism to try to disrupt the caste system um i guess under kind of like a hindu nationalist government that wouldn't maybe be a viable option but what what are your thoughts on this
0: converting to buddhism is one of the ways to disrupt the caste system but other than that i've i've personally not felt that converting to any other religion uh, is a way to disrupt the casteism. But a lot of people, a lot of people from the community has converted to, have converted to Islam or Sikhism, Christianity. And uh, I won't really put a finger on them and tell them, no, this is, the, this is not the way to do it. But then I personally feel that only converting to Buddhism is one of the ways to disrupt the casteism because casteism also, ex- caste system also exists in, uh, uh, Muslims also, in Islam also, in Sikhism also, and in Christianity also. Because uh, Islam is not, uh, I mean, Islam, it, did, it didn't come from Indian subcontinent, it came from outside. And same for Christianity. When colonialism was happening, everything was happening, it came from outside. And so a lot of people were offered to be con- uh, to be converted to Islam and to converted to Christianity. So a lot, Christ- uh, lot of Brahmins, a lot of Savanas, a lot of Kshatriyas, they willingly converted to Christianity and and Islam and Sikhism. So the conversion did not just like it converted. They converted to all those religions, but then they did not leave their caste behind. They brought their caste with them in uh, in the religion. And what happened was when a Brahmin converted to Christianity, he became Christian Brahmin. And when a Brahmin converted to Islam, he became like top of the pyramid sort of person in that religion and mm-hmm. that sort of brought all the, all those system into the into the those religion so personally i don't feel that a lot of people from a community a dalit community they feel liberated when they convert to christianity and convert to islam because hinduism is anyway very oppressive in not just in one way but in many ways so it's better option but i, I don't I, I personally don't feel like only i feel like only converting to buddhism you just disrupt the caste system
1: um I guess, could you explain a bit more about that? Because if you, if you convert to Buddhism, would they not, would they treat you any differently given that your surname would be the same? Um, Like, how would they know that you were Buddhist uh, instead of Hindu?
0: Basically, uh, I mean, there is no way to, when, when you convert to Buddhism, your surname doesn't go. Your surname stays the same. And I mean, for Christianity also and everything else also, it's almost remains the same, but then, uh, there are a lot of ways to know, you know, there are a lot of subtle ways to find out whether you converted to Buddhism or converted to Islam. a lot of people when they convert to Islam and Christianity, they change their name. They change their surname also, they change their name also. So that way you could find out, okay, that person converted to Islam or that person converted to Christianity. But in Buddhism, it almost remains the same. And that is why uh, I feel it's better to, personally, I feel better. I'm uh, constantly insisting because once once if this comes out a lot of people will be like oh how can you say that there are a lot of dalit people converted to islam and they're happy about it everything i'm not blaming anybody to uh, i'm not putting pointing finger at anybody but buddhism when you convert to buddhism your your name remains the same or you can change but almost remains the same and uh, then you just uh, convert to buddhism that's all there's no other special things that happening over there
1: Mm-hmm. But I mean, would the upper castes treat you differently if you convert to Buddhism versus remaining Hindu?
0: No, no, they won't they won't treat us differently at all. like uh, if like you're saying that if a person from the community converts to Buddhism would uh, people from upper caste uh, treat uh, treat us differently? Yeah no, they won't treat us differently.
1: No. So how does that disrupt the caste system then?
0: because then you leave the system like you leave hinduism and then they feel threatened about it you know they become more mm. more insecure about their places place and they they were like oh they they will say that all hindus and all, all hindus are like brothers and everyone is like and everything but you are treated like really badly in that system so you leave that system so they feel so they feel the heat and mm. then they Yeah. So they won't treat you any differently, but then, yeah, they'll like, they'll be, they'll feel insecure and they'll be like, they'll become more fragile. Mm -hmm. That I'll say. They'll become more fragile. They'll become more insecure. Yeah.
1: Okay. That makes sense. Um, So I guess turning now to your work on speciesism and how that intersects with casteism, could you explain how speciesism, capitalism, and casteism are all intertwined?
0: So, when i first uh, became vegan i i did not know about speciesism at all i just i just uh, saw all those violence uh, against animals and everything and i uh, one day i decided to go vegan overnight and then when i started uh, doing my activism i was all into all those people from western hemisphere i mean western countries who are uh, doing all all sort of you know i'd say white veganism sort of things,
1: <laughs> Yeah.
0: following the thing. And here people, all all the vegans here, all were all upper caste and all savannas, and they were sort of following the same thing here. But then when I started doing this activism in my own community, I started to get a lot of flack from my community. And they were like, oh, this is, this is like upper caste people, and this is like white, uh, this is like Western thing you're doing, and this doesn't really suit our community and everything. So started looking different ways to know about veganism That that's how i came to know about speciesism and then when i started to see speciesism i started to make connection with how casteism works in india and how speciesism how hinduism is speciesist and there's a there's a lot i think you might know about how hinduism and vegetarianism like goes hand in hand and a lot of people a lot of people say that uh, being vegetarian is like uh it's about purity and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So when uh, when I started doing activism in my community, a lot of people thought that this is vegetarianism. And uh, you know, and it, it doesn't really suit our community. And you're just uh, advocating for Brahmins. or you're just uh, advocating for upper caste people. And this is not what Dalit people do. But then I started to find how this whole Hindu uh, Hinduism or this whole caste system. Uh, is a system that is not just oppressing the but, but also through the it is exploiting animals at the same time. So what I call it uh, is a caste speciesism, where uh, the lowermost people. Use, uh, I'll explain it in a different way. Like all the all the animal industry that you see in India, uh, all the lowermost jobs like tanning and uh, where where the rotting flesh is there and uh, where they have to collect all those things all the people all those jobs are done by the little people only and the lit people and the uh, adivasi people and all these animal industries are set up on the lands of adivasi people like they're chased away from the lands and uh, all these industries are set up on that land and the prime beneficiary is that the industry is controlled by brahmins like they are the ones savanas they are the ones who control this industry they are the ones who have the grip on the industry and they are the ones who have the resources and power to chase away adivasi people from their lands and use their resources to feed this animal industry this way all these things are connected in a in one thread so i have explained this uh in my article in a very uh, in more deep uh, deeply
1: yeah we can definitely link the article below but yeah that's a really great kind of uh, overview of how these systems are connected, um, could you give us maybe some examples of speciesism in India and how they relate to caste?
0: So all this, uh, all this system that you see, all the caste system that you see divided, that has also divided the animals. How the animals are used and how, um, which caste should use which animal in India. Mm. So uh, the cows are considered holy, and here in India, but and the resources, the the products that come from cows like milk butter ghee yogurt and everything that is only accessible that was only accessible to brahmin people in the earlier earlier time it was only accessible to Savanas and brahmin people no no dalits or no untouchables were allowed even allowed near the cow or even to touch the cows because they were considered holy and if you touch the cow that cow will become unholy and then they'll have to do a lot of tantrums to make them holy again like that (laughs) So they were not allowed. So we were not allowed anywhere near the cows. Cows were only uh, what you say reserved for upper caste and brahmins and everyone. And mm-hmm. then you come down below. We have Kshatriyas who had like access to elephants and horse and everyone. Even brahmins had access to all these things. But I'm just categorizing the different castes who are like uh, relatable. You know, had positions to certain animals mm-hmm. related to cer- certain animals, but almost every Savannah had access to all these and all these untouchable people all the untouchable people and uh, the people they were not allowed to to be near anywhere these uh, sacred animals all mm-hmm. all the upper caste people were allowed to ride horse they were allowed to ride elephants uh, they were allowed to hunt lions and everything like that but mm-hmm. uh, the pe- the untouchable people they were not allowed to be anywhere near that but what happens when the cow cow dies or a horse dies or an elephant dies, then people from the society, people uh, untouchable people, were called to pick them up or to clean them up. And when the cow dies, it becomes un- unholy. That's that's what I can say. Mm-hmm. And when it becomes, when they become unholy, then people from the society are called to clean them up and to dispose them of. Or you know, have mm-hmm. they have they had the rituals to cremate uh, them. But then they were called to pick them up and to clean the bumper and everything else. And when the cows dies, then the, all these things happen. And the skin of the cow, they, they they are peeled by our community, people from our community. All the tanners, they were they were asked to take the skin of the animal. And then those skin were then given back to, again, the people from our community only who would make a lot of different things from that uh, skin like instrument musical instruments and a lot of things they would make like belts mm-hmm. and everything in the ancient time i'm not talking about the ancient time and uh, again those uh, uh what do you say those instruments and those uh, things that that are made from animal skin and everything they were not allowed to be used by any untouchables or, or any uh, lower caste people they were only reserved for upper caste people so when a cow is alive all the products that that is accessible, accessible is only to brahmins and savannahs and when they die people from lower caste people are uh, called up to clean the mess and then the skin and everything useful in that cow is again uh, cleaned up and done everything and made into nice things and beautiful things and then those things goes back again to those people of a higher caste people and in all these things people from lower caste people they were like exploited because they were not paid also they were not uh, given any reassurance uh, or anything any benefit. And they were like chased away back to outside of the society. And here you see both, both uh, things are exploited. Both people are exploited. Dalit people, Dalit people are also exploited and through Dalit people animals are also exploited and the only prime beneficiary are the Savarnas mm-hmm. or Savarnas and Brahmins. So this is how speciesism and casteism are interlinked. Even today it works in exactly the same way but you just bring in capitalism and you just you, you just increase the number of times the cows are killed and number of times the horses are killed and mm-hmm. all those things and you increase the exploitation of Dalit community to 10 times or 20 times more. Mm-hmm. Like that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, un- unbelievable. Um, it's really, really telling. I know that um, I don't know if you've read Afroism, but talks about, you know, the animalization of people and, and how that functions to uphold hierarchy. Um, and so yeah, like, I guess, you know, it's it's pretty telling, I guess that Dalit people um, have been animalized even more so than some of these sacred animals, right? Like they're they treated worse than the sacred animals, um, even in, in a, a species of society.
0: And it has affected our community in a lot of ways. All, all this caste system is not just exploited us in one way, it has exploited us in a lot of ways. And through uh, generations and generations and generations of uh, this exploitation happening, a lot of things in our community has changed. We were forced to eat the food that we are eating now. We are forced to live the way we are living now. We are forced to have the lifestyle that we are having now. We had no access to all the grains. We had no access to milk. We had no access to all the resources that we had before, that upper caste people had. And that has, like, affected our diet. Uh, it has come into our diet. It has come into uh, a lifestyle. It has come into our living in a lot of ways. So a lot of, lot of uh, advocates, Dalit, advocates uh, uh, Dalit people advocate about the dietary thing and uh, how we treat animals and how we should treat animals or how we should not treat animals it has actually come from brahmin people only like they they've exploited us in such a way that we had no option but to kill other people like kill animal people and to survive on them and to live on them so if we advocate about uh, speciesism and casteism at the same time we just uh, we not only be able to fight for animals and fight for animal liberation but also our, our own liberation in that way mm-hmm. so that was that is one of the main thing that i wanted to say
1: mm-hmm. yeah that makes a lot of sense that a lot of the ways that you um associate with eating um and like, like how you associate certain diets with the dalit people um that that has come from this broader hierarchy that kind of um, left people no choice right
0: mm-hmm. and then there are other there are other ways also like there are contradictory things that happen here in casteism and speciesism so people from dalit the community they are not allowed to ride horses during marriage ceremonies so i don't know if the people who are listening to this are aware of it that we have a tradition here in india uh, in the, during marriages, the the groom rides horse and goes to the wedding. And, uh, that Mm -hmm. thing is that whole ceremony is not allowed for, uh, people from lower caste and uh, untouchable caste. And so this act of riding horse, a lot of people from the community, they feel that when they do this act, like act of riding a horse during a wedding ceremony, they break this caste system. They break the stereotype or they Mm -hmm. sort of challenge the system. But uh, that is not exactly uh, right, in my opinion. And that is not actually, that's, that should not actually happen. Because in this process, the horse is getting exploited. This, the horse is uh, exploited and uh, he's, uh, we are oppressing another animal. Like we are trying to liberate, uh, we're trying to achieve liberation on the back of other animals, on the back mm-hmm. of other oppressed beings. And that's not uh, a right thing to do. Because if we are really, if we really want to fight caste system, if we really want to fight, uh, break the system, we actually have to advocate riding against the horse, like it doesn't matter which caste you belong to. Imagine how how it will be, like how powerful it can be when we from Dalit community and when we from Adivasi community try to disrupt the marriages where horse are being ridden, where we try to uh, mm-hmm. stop those marriages where the horse is put into all those tension uh put into all those situations and there are like loud music happening and everything basically i mean if even if you just look at it like it's, it's absolutely wrong to ride a horse as i mean it's absolutely wrong to ride a horse so if you just advocate about it that you should you should not ride a horse during a marathon. i mean it, it will again it will automatically break that system of hierarchy like you will again just come down to uh untouchables and people uh, on the par with untouchables and adivasis because we also don't ride uh, we are also not allowed to ride horse or ride ride horses during our ceremonies and you all you also won't be allowed to ride horse during your marriage ceremony Uh and in that way in that way they come on par with us and and we liberate horses like or we sort of advocate against them uh, against Uh riding horses
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think that's that. That would be a powerful way to kind of disrupt hierarchy on on multiple fronts. So for people who aren't aware, um, India right now is being ruled by a fascist Hindu nationalist government under the rule of uh, Prime Minister Narendra Modi, who has ushered in new waves of state violence against religious minorities and marginalized castes. Um, So I'm wondering how have things changed or worsened for marginalized people and for Dalit people in particular under Modi's regime?
0: It has become a lot worse, I'd say. Uh... It has become a lot worse like a lot a lot worse than it mm. was before but then india was always like this like mm. i have not personally seen much difference between what was happening during congress regime or sort of democratic regime and what's happening now yet mm. violence has definitely increased and a lot of people from upper caste like they have become more uh, open about it and they've become sort of more powerful and daring that they come out on the street and do all the all sorts of things. But mm-hmm. it has existed before also. because Like I've said before, it took around 40 years uh, for India to come up with a special law about atrocities against SC, SCs and STs. SCs mm-hmm. and STs is basically scheduled castes, scheduled tribes. Scheduled castes and scheduled tribes are basically people from Dalit community and Adivasi community. So it took 40 years for uh, India to come up with a special law to pro- uh, to have to protect people from all this violence so it has the, it has been there and Modi is sort of famous for being a Hindu nationalist and everything and even in 2000 when he was a chief minister of Gujarat he had he had sanctioned a lot of violence I don't know what will happen after after I've made this statement. <laughs> But uh, I won't be, I won't back down from making the statement that he actually did, he actually sanctioned a lot of state violence against Muslims in Gujarat during 2003, 2002-2003 riots. Hmm. And uh, he just sort of ignores uh, when these violence happens in India, uh, when after becoming prime minister. And I'll just say that it has become a lot worse now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, I've been seeing a lot across the news Um So, I mean, you know, recently the world watched as farmers and workers across India staged the largest protest in human history over Modi's uh, neoliberal agricultural reforms. Um, So worker power there seems to be fairly solid. But I'm wondering, are workers in these protests really keen to disrupt the caste system system as well? And uh, do you see any potential for real revolution here?
0: Potential for revolution? I guess there is potential for revolution but then what kind of revolution that we want from here, because the people that are representing the farmers right now, and, uh, all this, the whole farmer protest is actually led by, again, it's led by Savannah people and upper caste people only, because mm. if people, if they have seen, saw them, if they saw the news, like two days, two, three days ago, there was a tractor rally during the Republic day and, uh, a tractor costs around three to seven lakhs around two thousand, two thousand, three thousand 2000, $3,000. American mm-hmm. dollars, mm-hmm. one tractor costs around 2000 3000 $3, American dollars and that is the money only people from upper caste and uh, uh, Savannas, only, only they can afford. So again, this whole pro- protest, this farmer protest is basically led by them. And yeah, there are people from uh, Dalit, ka- Dalit, caste, uh, Dalit community and Adivasi community also who are in this uh, protest and they are they are in very large numbers they like because we already are in very large in number so we anywhere we will go the protest really becomes large but then it's again represented by upper caste and the uh, brahmins only and uh, yeah it's important i mean i mean yeah worker po- workers powers are like uh, workers power here is really solid and they're like, like really fighting it and uh, as a people from as a people from marginalized community i really support this like what whatever whatever is happening here in india about the farmers protest and everything but we should not really forget that uh, the caste system here also exists in this farmers whole protest and somebody is getting the somebody is getting their voice uh, heard from everybody and somebody is not even uh, getting anything
1: hmm. Yeah, I, I was wondering about that, whether it was mostly a protest against like neoliberal reforms, or if there was a potential for, uh, you know, a wider disruption of the caste system, but it sounds like that might be a might be alive and well even within the protests. So how can comrades in the global north then assist in the struggle of, of lower caste people in India?
0: Uh, give them more space. And uh, when whenever a person from a higher caste or uh, uh elite classes coming and talking about the caste system and everything you just just ask them about the people from that committee and whether they know people from that committee and they should actually what do you say amplify the voice of the people from our committee. They're mm-hmm. actually there are actually people who are making a lot of statements, who are doing a lot of protests and who are literally really voicing their opinions from our committee, but they're not they're overshadowed by people from upper caste. And they're like they're like liberal uh, upper caste people who just sort of leech onto our struggles and they just make it their own, try to make it their own, and they try to benefit from it. And mm-hmm. that is the that is one one of the things that we need to find out who's doing that because they they just try to own our movement and they try to make it their own, and our struggle remains the same. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, is there anything else you would like to add uh, to this discussion? I, I don't have any more questions, but is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, anything else you'd like the listeners to know?
0: Yeah. the The thing that about Modi's Modi's fascist government that uh, I just uh, lost, sort of skipped a lot of things in that. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to just go through it again. A lot of things. Yeah. So a lot of things have changed. Like for us, us Dalit people, there are not much difference in the violence that we are seeing. Yeah. It has increased from the previous years. And it has uh, become uh, worse in the pre- from the previous years, but almost it has almost remained same. It has almost remained same from the last 70 or 72 years that uh, in the existence of India. But uh, what Modi's regime has done is that it has just controlled the media in a very bad way. Like he runs propaganda in a very really good way, and he has like he has the power to mobilize, mobilize any crowd at any time. Like in, he would just come on the TV and just say that bang, thallies, bang uh, plates and uh, spoons at 5 p.m. And the entire country will come to their balcony and the entire com- country will come to the street and start banging
1: uh, wow. plates.
0: And yeah, it has happened, actually. It has happened. Last year it has happened. Yeah. I think on 31st March 2020, he came on TV around 12 uh, p.m. in the afternoon and just told people to come out on the streets in their balconies on the windows and bank plates and spoons to encourage people fighting covid <laughs> and oh, wow. entire country did that and entire wow. country did that wow
1: <laughs>
0: yeah so he has such influence he has such influence on people he can just make people do anything yes like he has, like, mm-hmm. has proper. yeah he has such a strong propaganda tool with him and all this team and all everything that he has it is very strong he can just make people do anything, and even yeah. in the farmers' protests uh, and everything here, the coverage you see it's the like it was the world's largest protest that it's the world's largest mobilization and protest that is happening right now. But when you switch on television sets, no matter what news channel you see, there are like rarely any news channel that talks a, in favor of farmer protests or in favor of the farmers or or is willing to listen to what, farm, what farmers are going through. Everybody is talking against farmers oh. and everybody's trying to demonize farmers. Like right? there's some sort of evil people who just don't want anything good happening to the country. And they're like, they should be jailed and they should be done this and that, everything. And it's been happening from last two to three months. Wow. And it's all under the propaganda that's happening. I'd say before, before we had a little bit of democracy in the country where there was something that we had hope for but now the democracy is just for namesake it, it has become fascist we sort of we always uh, try to say that oh china is our worst enemy china is our enemy and they're and everything and they're like they control people and everything but in a way we are just a mirror image of china now in a lot of ways all these hindu fascists who hate uh, china they are actually just mirroring the thoughts and images that they have of China in reality. They're just mm-hmm. doing that. And mm-hmm. Modi is like the center stage of all that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess if he has so much power that whatever he comes out and says is taken really seriously, then the fact that he is pretty openly Hindu nationalist must be also having a, a, a big influence on the increased violence that you're seeing. But although, as you said, that you've you've been experiencing this violence for a very long time, but Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show today. This was um, really enlightening and um, we are going to link to your articles. um, And if you'd like to send me, I don't don't know if you have links to the documentaries that you worked on, but we can include those in the show notes as well for people. Um, But would you like to maybe shout out where people can find you online if you'd like them to, to find you?
0: Yeah, they can find me on Instagram and Instagram the instagram handle is a little bit complicated it's called polycycloid Polysimus. i'll send it to you and that is uh, on instagram and on, on facebook you can find me as pratik
1: great yeah so we'll link that below so that people can uh, can find you and your work and just yeah thank you thank you so much again for um coming in and speaking about this today and um Yeah, I mean, if there's any way that uh, we can help the struggle even further, then please don't hesitate to let us know.
0: Yeah, sure. Thank you for inviting me for your talk.